So where we are, we finished generosity, and I've been gone for a week, so I am assuming you guys have been really generous for the last two weeks. So anybody got any feedback from your exercise, which I think was to do three generous acts per day? Yeah, a comment was that she had been doing generous acts, uh, not necessarily giving money, but helping people out and so forth. And she ran into a bunch of resistance and was curious as to whether this was perhaps uh, a spiritual attack. One of the things that is worth saying every now and then, a lot of Christians regard anything that goes wrong as somehow being a satanic attack. I think that's giving Satan more credit than he probably deserves. It is certainly possible to come under spiritual attack, and it, it happens to lots of people all the time which is okay. But you also don't want to see a demon under every bush. Uh, you want to sort of go through your life and understand that sometimes the things that you regard as spiritual attacks are just people that are, ah, get out of my face. Sometimes they are spiritual attacks. But the thing to understand is as you are going through life to the extent that you're doing stuff that God would have you be doing, you're going to meet resistance. If you didn't meet resistance, then there wouldn't be any point in giving you courage and stuff like that. Resistance just sort of goes with the territory. One of the things that I am fond of saying is that God issued us all into a combat zone. And there are lots and lots of things going on, some of which are spiritual, some of which are just ordinary other people. And it's often difficult to tell the difference. You just need to burn through it. So the idea that you are receiving resistance can mean one of two things. Either you're being an obnoxious jerk or you are doing what God has called you to do. As you run across opportunities that realistically would be opportunities to give, and if you stumble, you ought to pay attention to the fact that you stumbled there because that's telling you something about yourself. I said be aware of your thought. We said that very clearly, precisely. Be aware of your thought. And then at that point, you can decide, this is a place where I'm stopped up and I need to work on that. Or you can decide, uh, no, it's absolutely appropriate that I not give now. But the point is, when you hesitate to give, just look at it and recognize it. And as you're doing diary stuff, write it down. Because if you keep stumbling in that same area over a period of time, it may turn out to be something you want to give attention to. It goes, goes back to thinking about what you're thinking about, if you will. I was going through this with my son, Daniel, up in Washington. He's been going through a lot of self-improvement, stuff like that. His birthday was this month, and I gave him the Musar book, and I sat down with him and his family and went through the basics of this so that he could get a jump start. And the question that he asked, which you guys haven't asked yet, but it always comes up during Musar, and I will just go ahead and ask it for you now since you haven't done it yet. How does this relate to the gifts of the Spirit? And the answer is it doesn't. Now, what do I mean? You have this list of the gifts of the Spirit. Notice that none of these, you know, with the exception of maybe things like patience and so forth, is among the gifts of the Spirit. So how do these relate to the gifts of the Spirit? 
The gifts of the Spirit are gifts from God that are given to you for the benefit of somebody else. So if you are given a gift of healing, for example, you are expected to use that gift to heal somebody else. And if you are some kind of a jerk so that God's light can't flow through you, that means that you can block the gifts of the Spirit working through you. So what the Musar course does, by getting you sort of lined up, it then makes you a vehicle through which God's gifts can flow for other people. The way I would describe it, I was talking to Travis out of Port Morgan, who's got a friend that has cancer, and he was asking me how to pray and called me up to get some advice because his friend had asked him to come over and pray, and so he called me and said, okay, you got any tips for me? And the way I describe it is all the power is in the spiritual realm. The example I would use is there's a power plant over there in Boulder. And as long as the generators are turning, there is all the power in the world, or at least as much as you need in Boulder. So this power is always out there. But there's a switch over there in the wall. And unless that switch gets thrown, that power is not available for the light and the fans. You've got to throw that switch. You're a switch. God's power is available to flow through you, but if you got your switches turned off, then you block it. Just like if the switch there is turned off on the wall, the air conditioners are not going to run. The air conditioners are working just fine. The power plant in Boulder is working just fine. The wires are all connected just fine. Everything is there for those air conditioners to come on. But the switch has not been thrown. So you're designed to be a transducer. You are designed to be a conduit for God's power into the world. Plenty of power up there. And there's plenty of need down here. And your job then is to be a conduit or a switch for that power. The Musar course teaches you where the blockages are to God's power flowing through you into the world. Which of your switches are turned off? And the other thing is, and I've said this before lots of times, but it's worth saying again, I follow directions. God's word says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. God's word says a lot of things. So what I do is I follow directions. Somebody comes to me and needs prayer, I lay my hands on them and I pray, and I pray as if I am an open switch. I expect God's power to flow through me into the other person for whatever that other person needs. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And your job is to go lay hands on that guy, anoint him with oil, and pray boldly that he be healed of his cancer. And if he drops over dead, step over the corpse and go on to the next one. The results of that are not your problem. The results of that are God's problem. So without you, the switch is off. With you, there's still a decision point in the heavenlies that may decide it's time for that person to come home. And that's just what's going to happen. That isn't your problem. That's God's decision. So you're always in the right when you step up and you pray according to the scripture and you just say confidently, this is what's going to happen. Lots of people pull their punches because they don't want to look like a fool if the guy drops over dead. What are people going to think of me if I pray for this guy and he drops over dead? I mean, they're going to think I'm a jerk. That's not your problem. 
Your problem is follow the directions. You'd be an open switch. At that point, it's up to the engineer in the power plant whether he shoots power down your particular wire. That's his decision, not yours. All right, onward. So this week we do kindness, or chesed in Hebrew. In the Tanakh, the word chesed is used, according to this count, 245 times, and I have no reason to doubt it. And two-thirds of those refer to God. So it's a major theme in the Bible. And it's a major attribute of God himself. So as you are going through your life, what you want to do is be a conduit through which God's loving kindness, or said, can flow. Piece of scripture. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? How many things are there? Three things. First one is do justice which means equity, if you will. But then love, kindness, chesed. And then, of course, to walk humbly with your God. But notice the central position, if you will, of kindness. You do justice and you walk humbly, but the thing that you truly love is chesed. And what happens if you're just without being kind? Everybody ends up with one arm, right? You know, an eye for an eye and so forth. I'm very serious. And there are systems which are just without kindness. Let me give you an example. There was on the news today a story about a, a woman who's married to a soldier, and she was at home alone and pregnant. And somebody came to the door and knocked on the door, and she opened the door and he says, Hi, I'm your uh, husband's friend from the army, and is he here? And she said, no, he'll be back later on. And the guy says, okay, I'll come back. But something didn't feel right, so she called her husband and asked about this guy, and her husband said, I don't know that guy. He's not a friend of mine. So she went into the uh, bedroom, she went into the bedroom, and picked up her husband's revolver and had it with her uh, in the living room. And later on, this guy came back and knocked on the door, and she didn't open it, and he broke down the door and was coming toward her, and she picked up her husband's revolver and shot him, killed him. The police, when they got there, uh, looked at the situation and said, justifiable homicide, self-defense, no problem whatsoever. The district attorney, however, decided to prosecute her because it turns out that she had in the past been convicted of a marijuana offense. And as a convicted felon, she was not allowed to handle a gun. So the district attorney says, well, you handled a gun, and therefore I am going to prosecute you for violating um, the terms of your parole. Now, that is justice without mercy. The district attorney is obviously an ass. I mean, according to the letter of the law, she is not allowed to touch a gun. Any reasonable person in the world would say, yeah, okay, under these circumstances, what she did was justified, and, and I am sure that at the end of the day, she's not going to jail. But the point is that some prosecutor is just an absolute jerk because he's doing justice without kindness. What then is kindness without justice? It's mush. 
Then you become what's known today as a social justice warrior. All emotion and slop and mush. So you need both, and you need them in the appropriate proportions. And of course, walking humbly with your God is always good. So the translation that your author gives is generous, sustaining benevolence. Notice that it combines generosity, which you just went through, the idea that you have an open and flowing heart, but it's given to sustain someone else. There are several poster children for a said, God clothes the naked. Adam and Eve were clothed by God. If you see some guy running through the mall naked, it's probably not because he's too poor to buy clothes. It's probably because he's a wacko. Having said that, the idea of being generous with what other people need for their covering, and that can be a number of things, is an attribute of God. God visits the sick. So visiting people who are sick or who are mourning is an act of chesed. And then the final one in this list here is comforting mourners. And one of the possible exercises that you might do is to attend a funeral this week, even if it's somebody you don't know. This is a fairly long chain. One of the things in the Torah that you are obligated to do is you are obligated to take care of a corpse. It is, in fact, such a strong obligation that even the high priest himself, who is in a state of ritual cleanliness for the temple, if he runs across a corpse in a field with nobody to care for it, is obligated to take care of it, even though he has been prepared for temple service. It's an extremely important thing. What you're doing is you're taking care of the image of God. And the idea of taking care of a corpse is it's pure chesed because there's no way that you can ever be paid back for it. The dead person is in no position to repay you for the kindness that you do to him. Hence, it is a pure act of loving kindness to take care of. One of the things about chesed, and, and I need to be careful about this, in order to be chesed in the biblical sense, there has to be no possibility of you being paid back. So if I were to invite Suzanne over to the house for supper, I sort of expect that at some point in the next six months or so, I'll be invited to her house for supper. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, it's social interaction, building community, and all those things. That's all very healthy. But it's not loving kindness. There's a difference. I've been reading a guy by the name of Rabbi Dessler. He's, in fact, one of the mentors of the guy that wrote your book. And he talks about giving and taking. And there are people who give with the expectation of taking. In other words, they know that they have to say thank you, otherwise nobody will talk to them again, but they're not really terribly grateful. Where there are other people who are givers. And the purpose of Musar is all of us start off as takers. We just do. And what you're doing with Musar is you are using your Yetzer Hurrah in service of your Yetzer Tov. Now, what do I mean? What you want to do is get so that your Yetzer Tov, your good inclination, is what rules you in all circumstances. Well, nobody's there. We're not. I'm certainly not. So what you do is you look at opportunities to do kindness with the understanding that your kindness is initially not going to be exceptionally pure. But... As you keep doing it, 
what happens is you train yourself. And after a while, you get out of the way and you do become more pure simply because it has now become your habit. That's what you call using the Yetzer Hurrah in service of Yetzer Tov. So all of these exercises, you go through them. I can't give. Everybody is there. We're not all there on the same attribute, but all of us are there on some of the attributes. So the fact that that happened to be where you were on that one, okay, that's where you were on that one. But as you do these exercises and you train yourself, what happens is it leaves tracks on your soul. And as you keep doing it over a period of years, what you wind up doing is you wind up changing. And at some point, you won't necessarily know when, it'll be very gradual, but at some point you'll recognize, oh, that's just the way I am now. And it's not anything I have to work on. And that's the goal. But understand that as you go through these exercises, there's going to be some of them that are just going to be, I can't do that, or I don't want to do that, or however you want to say it. And the attribute will be different for all of you. And you will not all have the same attribute that you scrunch up like a cat. You know, can't do that. But you'll all have some. So understand that as you go through this, you may be doing this with selfish motives. You may invite somebody over to your house with a thing in the back of your mind. Okay, at some point he's going to invite me to his house and it'll all even out. That may be in the back of your mind. Do it anyway. Nothing else, it builds community. But the more you do it, the more you change yourself onward. Your exercise this week is develop your own exercise. Now, as we go through the exercises here, it's important to understand that the exercise for each attribute is not unique to that attribute. The technique for each of the exercises can be used for any of the attributes. So, for example, in generosity, the exercise was develop three acts of generosity each day. And then write down your observations and so forth. You could use that same technique. I will come up with three acts of loving kindness every day. You may decide that I will spend some time meditating on loving kindness every day. I will get together with a friend and we will study the scriptures on loving kindness every day. So the techniques that you have seen at the end of each one of these exercises can apply to any of the attributes. So as you're trying to figure out what kind of a exercise you're going to devise for yourself, go back and look at the exercises in the previous ones and say, all right, now could I adapt that exercise to loving kindness? A couple of phrases you might try, and if those don't work for you, roll your own. Remember, this is one you're doing all by yourself, and I expect some really good exercises next week. The world stands on kindness, or love kindness and walk humbly with God. That's out of Malachi. You've got the 13 attributes of mercy. You know, when Moses is standing in a cleft of the rock. There's all sorts of places you can go in Scripture to come up with a phrase if you don't like these. Perfectly okay to use these and make up your own.